Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today is our friend and freelance writer, Fraser Brown. Hello. We also welcome late of Gamesbeat now, is it, Rowan? Yep. S- I am still a-, a freelance writer, but with a steady gig. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the, the best of both worlds for now. We'll see. <laughs> but yes. I am the PC guest post editor at GamesBeat, which means that people send me their things about what kind of VR is going to make the most money. And I say, please add an example to your first paragraph. (laughs) (laughs) Outstanding. (laughs) Uh, And you also heard the rich laughter of the Game King Mm. himself, Sean Sands. Hello. Uh, So today we're going to be talking about Amplitude's Endless Space 2. uh, And... Before we sort of dive into a discussion of the game's merits and what it's doing and what's cool or or not cool about it, uh, we should probably just address the elephant in the room, which is that no matter where we come down in this game, we're probably not recommending you buy it today. Uh, Probably not. Because a non-trivial number of us, like there's there's four of us here... (laughs) And uh, at least two of us have hit game-breaking bugs, and five minutes on Twitter indicates that a lot of 3MA listeners have also had similar, uh, similar incidents. So, uh, Sean, you said that you actually been unable to complete yeah. a full game of Endless Space 2. Yes. Yes. And that's, that's after... A, the first time I kind of rolled with it, because it was, it was sort of my first game, and I felt like, you know... I knew what I wanted to do this time, so that was okay. This was an aberration. About 150 turns into my second game where it hits this bug, just this, there's nothing else to call it. You hit the end turn button, and if you hover over the end turn button, you can actually see the status of the AI along with your your score. Um, so there's a whole bunch of them that are like, yeah, ready, playing. But then there's two or three of them that just say, in encounter. And it will just freeze there. There's no indication that you can do anything else. Somewhere in this endless space, there's an endless battle going on that will never resolve. Therefore, that turn is dead. And if you reload, if you go back, you know, maybe five turns and reload there, it does not seem to matter. It's going to die on that turn no matter what. Uh, Even tried like a beta patch and stuff like that. And that was was the end of my game. There was no moving forward as far as I could find uh, on the internet after maybe a half hour of, of Valiant searching. And that really was sort of sort of where Endless Space 2 kind of died for me in a lot of ways. Like, that was just one of those moments where it's like, oh, I'm not sure I can try another 150 turns just to have some sort of bug like what this. What a great metaphor. An endless <laughs> battle somewhere in the depths of space. That, that ruins your space bringing for it us. all to an end. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I actually thought we had different bugs, but now I realize we had the same bug. Because for me, it was, I think, okay. on turn... Uh, I'm not sure. I think it was like one turn 152. Um, mm-hmm. And I was actually in the battle that wouldn't resolve. So for me, like the battle screen popped oh, wow. up. Yeah, I, I had the blessed battle uh, this time. So okay. for me, I got the uh, the encounter screen, and I picked uh, sort of my fleet lineup and my, my tactics like always. And I hit the fight button, and usually after like a five, ten second pause, it spits out the results of the battle. Uh, and here the you know the, the little um, hourglass thing just sort of spun and spun and kept spinning, and yeah, I, I reloaded from several turns earlier, 
and played up to the same point mm-hmm. and hit the same bug. And, and I and I do think if it's at the same point each game, then it just sort of sounds like around this point in the game, wherever someone is having a battle, something goes space, wrong. Yeah, something goes wrong. Yeah. Uh, and that's uh, pretty upsetting. Now, I didn't have this happen with the with the game I played to completion. Uh, so I, I did get through like a 180-turn game where everything was just fine. And so I had a couple of people telling me, uh, you know, this game seems pretty buggy. And I'd had just like sort of the charmed run, right? Where like, Endless Space just mm-hmm. works fantastically. The only weird thing that happened to me was at one point, and I think, Rowan, you, you had this happen... Uh, Horatio sent sort of a, a nasty diplomatic message, and I like sort of click the check check mark button to you know okay dismiss the message, and then like after two seconds he would send it again and again and again. Yeah, he's basically on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> the Horatio think Bernie Kratz are to blame for Trump. The Horatio don't know why you won't the election go <laughs> won't let the election go. Yeah, it uh, uh so it it's it's pretty frustrating cuz I was actually having a really great time with this game and and basically until around like 10, 10 o'clock last night I was really keen to 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 chat about the the pros and cons of this game. Uh and then around 10 o'clock last night I played my last game of Endless Space 2. Uh, probably for at least you know a couple weeks. Um, I'm I'm just not going to deal with this. I I I find myself in the same boat. Like we did our show a couple of days ago, and I talked a little bit briefly about Endless Space too, and it was a much more positive conversation in that sense. I mean, there's still, and we can dive into that soon. You know, the the stuff that's good. There's some stuff that's not so great. Um, but it, I mean, it's 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 no surprise. Like a a, a consistent end game. You know, a, a game breaking bug. Um, it's it's always going to leave a bad taste in your mouth. So I didn't realize any of these things were were happening because in I've played I don't know like four games to completion and then kind of dabbled with some other the other factions uh, in other ones and I've only come across one major bug and that was before launch day and that was where um, I realized I was playing a game and I was like wait it's been almost 200 turns and the only wars that are going on are wars that I started. I keep getting threats, I keep pissing people off, but nobody's actually declaring war. And it turned out that war was just, like, broken, that the AI wasn't declaring war on anyone, even themselves. Um, But then that Hmm. was fixed, along with a few other diplomacy tweaks uh, before launch day, and I've had zero issues since then. So I must just be very, very lucky. I mean, I think Sean and I both sort of ended up scanning forums to see what was going on with this. And it does look like... You either have this problem or, or you don't, but it's like you, you either fall into this group yep. of people encountering this exact same bug for whatever reason, uh, or the game doesn't have this issue at all, and you, 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 have, you have a great time with it. So it, it's, it's one of those really infuriating, uh, you know, weird, weird errors uh, that can completely torpedo your experience if you fall into uh, the, you know, sort of the unlucky group. I, I do kind of wonder if it has something to do with the... Um, the way in the space resolves its turn order, like the the series has always sort of, I think, had a lot of things basically get calculated out simultaneously, uh, so that you know you can act like while the turns are cycling, you can like still interface with with you know parts of your interface, right? You can sort of like look around and peer at stuff in, in your empire. It's not like the game completely freezes. 
Um, and so there, there, it does sort of feel like there's the simultaneous resolution thing happening, uh, at least as far as the calculations go, under the surface. Uh, but man, it also seems like when that fails, it, it, it fails pretty hard. Um, anyway, so... Yeah, wouldn't recommend this game, like, right now. Uh, but but let's, let, let's sort of, like, jump forward in time to the place where, you know, this is ideally been been patched out of the game and we're all just sort of playing the, the playing the same strategy game we we thought we were playing for those first 100 150 turns uh, 180 turns what do what do what do we make of this and 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 actually real quick let you know going around how have people felt about the endless space to date uh, the endless series uh, to date so it didn't start off brilliantly the, the first endless space one was uh really pretty but also kind of sterile yeah, uh, 4X game in a lot of ways. Like there were some really cool ideas. I am still a defender of their combat system, which was all about like building a deck of abilities that you use at different phases of a, a combat situation. Uh, so you would like defend on the first bit, use specific guns on the second, and like pull back on the third. Things like that. So you even though you were just watching these things happen, you'd already selected a bunch of different tactics to use, which I thought kind of balanced out the the desire for battles to get done and dusted quickly in a, in a massive 4X game, but also feel like you're doing something worthwhile in them. Uh, so I like that, but otherwise, and diplomacy, and there is no real like narrative behind the... There was like, there's lore in the galaxy, but it didn't really come into play that much. It just felt quite dead. Yeah, it, it felt like it checked all the boxes, um, and that's all it did, at least with, with, with the first Endless game. Uh, but I, it, it, I think it was very specifically criticized generally for a lack of personality, which was um, something that Endless Legend said, okay, we're going to fix that. <laughs> and they made a game that was on a planet in the science fantasy setting that... Uh, was nothing but personality. We're still not sure if it's like a great strategy <laughs> game, but it's it's gorgeous. The music is great. The map is the best map that I've ever seen in any kind yeah. of game. And uh, uh, the factions ha are all wildly different with some pretty amazing distinctions. And uh, the depth, I'm not sure if it's there or not, but it's fun to go in and dabble and try to do the narrative that they've attached to the game, which kind of ends up bypassing a lot of the 4X problems of you're getting in a race with all these other factions. Instead, if you want to, you can just go down this narrative path that will let you learn about the lore and the planet and all this wild stuff that lets you win the game without having to, you know, worry that Gandhi is two techs ahead of you. Yeah, I always felt like, you know, one of the interesting things to me, both about Endless Space, uh, the first one, which I enjoyed, and I think I, I mean, I won't rehash because I think I feel the same way as you guys do on it. But um, as I recall, there weren't just, I mean, it kind of entered into a place where there simply weren't as many 4X space game options. Like since then, there have been a number of other things that kind of come into that world and compete. And so Endless Space, at least my experience was, you know, while it was sterile, while there was kind of a lot left to be desired, it immediately put me in the headspace of wanting Endless Space too. Like immediately after playing it, and, and I played several games to completion in that and then kind of happily moved away and never really came back. 
But I was always looking forward to the next step, partly because there just wasn't anything else out there at the time. And of course, since then, we've had, you know, a Master of Orion reboot. Uh, we have Stellaris. We have a, a, a number of sort of indie uh, uh, 4X games, uh, space games. Um, and it feels like my patience is a little thinner this time. Um with the uh, with 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 the bugs and with the things that don't feel quite right, particularly in light of the fact that I think Endless Legend was such a a, a really interesting step forward from Endless Space, and I don't feel that same step forward that I was kind of hoping for here. Yeah, I'm uh, I, I'm still torn. I'm I'm still working through what I feel about Endless Space too, uh, in a lot of ways. I, I think to start out, let, let's talk a little bit about, you know, sort of the, the, the macro level changes. Well, since we keep bringing up tone in particular, uh, let's sort of tackle how Endless Space 2 is using its setting and sort of the growing history of the uh, the Endless lore. Um, I, I certainly... Like the game, Endless Space Two made a fantastic first impression on me, and I and I still find it kind of charming because it it does have an awful lot of like flavor elements in it that that really speak to me. Uh, you know, for instance, the um, each time you pick a new faction, you get a really cool like faction introduction movie, and they all have like wildly different flavors, and those flavors will will then to some extent be reflected in the uh, in, in the sort of faction quests you get throughout the game. Which is really cool and, and manages to put a nice bit of window dressing on a game that maybe when you get really reductive about it, isn't that divorced from what was happening in, in Endless Space 1. Uh, but but that, that sort of texture really means a, a lot to me. At the same time, I, I'm, I'm still not entirely sold that the, the changes between factions are as dramatic are, are as dramatic or as far-reaching as they first appear? I don't think they're necessarily as dramatic as Endless Legends uh, factions, but I think what's more interesting is how the the tone, the differences in tone, have an impact on the actual mechanics. So like even the most simple thing, like colonizing a world, different factions do very differently, and it all trickles down from the, the original stuff that you learn about them. So like the Lomeris are sort of mafioso-y. They're a little bit like the Ferengi, really, like amphibious Ferengi. And they can hire private companies to colonize worlds instead of having to actually send out colony ships and, or build colony ships, send them out. It's like an automated process and it requires a lot of financial backing. And that fits into the idea that these are like corporate capitalist uh, faction and that's how they actually expand. So it, I think it, it's more interesting in how it affects the actual things that you're doing rather than just being flavor. Yeah, and I mean, as a thematic kind of element, I totally agree that it, it, it adds a lot to it i think in for my experience and and you know i played the sofons i played the cravers i played i played like an, uh, several of them the uh the human faction which is pretty straightforward um but 
overall, it felt like the deeper I got into the game, the less that I felt like I was, the more it sort of zeroed back into normal, regardless of what faction I was playing. Um, the beginning always felt a lot more interesting because colonization in the early games kind of, it, it, I mean, it's something that you're really focused on. It takes a lot of resources. It's, you know, that kind of rapid expansion element, you know, stake your claim in the galaxy. Um, and again, only up to turn 150 something, but I was finding as I kind of crossed that threshold across the 50, 60 mark, like the differences became felt felt like they were being reduced to me, and and by turn 100, it didn't really feel like I it mattered whether I was playing the Cravers or the Sofons or whoever at that point, um, which is not bad. I mean, the the game still has a lot to deliver and a lot to offer, but I felt that kind of that, that thematic difference um, diminishing over time. Yeah. I, um, I guess I, that's kind of where, where I end up as well. The early parts of the game do feel sort of really richly layered uh, with that theme. Also in part, because that's when a lot of your, um, your, your fashion quests are going to be firing Later in the game, it feels like uh, you're getting a lot more, not ge- not necessarily generic quests, but you're getting your sort of galaxy-wide uh, quests that sort of put you into uh, drag races with other other factions. But in the early part of the game, it, it does sort of feel like, oh wow, this is a completely different uh, a completely different race than than who I was playing before. They have a completely different way of interacting with the uh, with the universe, and then. You know, toward the end of the game, it 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 does start to feel a little bit like okay, well, you know, just like in a, in a typical four X, I'm I'm working from the set menu of buildings, um, and they all sort of feed pretty directly into a standard array of end game strategies, and that's not necessarily like that's not necessarily a, a, a terrible thing. But it does start to feel like there at the end of the game, some of that early promise of all these cool and interesting factions, uh, which is very reminiscent of uh, of how weird and wild the factions are in Endless Legend, some of that promise sort of, to me at least, uh, did feel like it was starting to fade. I don't really think it needs to just be up to the factions' inherent differences to make each playthrough feel different though because it's such a broad game you have all of these different technologies victory paths and then the politics system which changes everything so i think the differences still feel significant it's just not always coming from the factions themselves but some of the choices that you make game to game rowan who's wrong (laughs) (laughs) i mean I just don't get why we're still making Master of Orion 2. Endless Legend mm-hmm. is not civilization. Endless Legend is, you know, some civ-like aspects to it, as it is a 4X on a planet. But all these space games are just remaking Master of Orion 2. And this game, Endless Space 2, is got a lot of personality on that. It's one of the most beautiful of those that I've seen. I like a lot of the choices it makes. It it raises the floor on what the Space 4X game can do. It just doesn't change the ceiling, which is, you know, from 1995 or whatever. Um, I we, We're talking about these 
races that kind of lose their personality as the game goes on. And yeah, that's because your goal in this game is to colonize every planet you see and then terraform it into the ideal planet for you. And what that ideal planet might change slightly because of some neat things that Endless Space 2 does, but it's still this process of here's this big wild galaxy, now let's smooth it out into everything being okay for you. And I just not that into that kind of game and after endless legends creativity within that genre um endless space 2 feels like i i kind of a missed opportunity on that on those grounds now there are good things like fraser says like the the senate system or the various political factions is definitely a a very creative idea for um kind of showing how your empire is adapting over time and even adapting in ways that you might not want. And I like those kinds of, those kinds of internal pressures. I'm not sure how huge of a difference it makes right now, but it's, it's, it's a very good idea. And, you know, all the different factions, all their different colors, the way they interact with the map, their different ship styles, like these, these things all add a huge amount of personality, but I'm just, you know, not that into colonizing every planet you see and then, making it you know as adding as many buildings that you'll never see onto it i yeah i i, I miss seeing cities you know yeah i uh i want to dig in before before we get into the uh sort of the the model of colonization here let's let's talk a little bit about that that politics system though because it it is really really cool uh it's also mm-hmm. something that is so like some of the things i really like about it it's granularity, uh, how many things affect the politics, also make it hard for me to interact with uh, in some ways and, and sort of treat as a strategic resource. And that may or may not be a bad thing. Like, I haven't totally made up my mind. But politics are something I, I end up, like, paying a lot of attention to uh, in this game. But there are so many variables affecting how the different parties go, go up or down uh, that it sort of feels like sometimes politics are just are just happening. And I'm not, like it's more trouble than it's worth necessarily to build the po- political ramifications into each decision uh, I'm making. But uh, Fraser, you, you, you love the politics system. Why don't you, why don't you take us through like, how does it work and, and what are you getting out of it? Yeah. So the idea is each system you control has various pops on it. And each one of these groups of citizens, cause they really represent the entire group has a series of political views and they align to one of six different uh, political parties within your empire. So there are those who are very much into the military, there are pacifists, economists, things like that. People want more money, people want things to be more green. And different things that you do in your empire will both please them and also affect how much support they give to a specific party. So you might start building up a hell of a lot of ships because you're planning a war and that can have a knock-on effect by uh, pleasing the more militant of your population who will then in turn give more support to that political party so when election time comes if you do have elections you might not have traditional ones uh, then there's a very good chance the militants will actually win and you will get a whole new set of laws that you can spend influence to put into action which might actually benefit you in the war to come but then that creates a problem once the war is ended you have this angry military faction 
that want you to keep building more ships, that want you to declare, to declare more wars and will give you all of these edicts to pass to make that easier, but you want to go back to, to your more peaceful ways. So maybe you'll try to integrate another civilization into yours who are more peaceful to spread that around, or maybe you will just start doing things that encourage people to support uh, the, the pacifist party. And it becomes something that does, it does happen in the background. Everything you do has a, a small impact on the politics system. So you can kind of just ignore it and have it work in its magic behind you. But you can definitely borrow into it and actually game the system to use it to your advantage. I think both ways are perfectly valid. I like the life and the, you know, the strange kind of, narrative twists it creates when you just let it work away on its own. Uh, but it can also be a really powerful tool, so it's quite handy. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I, I, I like the, uh, one of the things that, that I found really effective about it is, so as you have, you know, um, you know, more militarist or more ecologist or whatever, you have access to different sets of laws associated with it. I think you mentioned that. And the, the nice thing is these laws are actually, like, if you are going in, the, in a certain direction, like a lot of times these laws feel really powerful. They let you really kind of shape what you want to do. They can, you know, substantially reduce the cost of, you know, creating ships, or they can substantially kind of you know, buffet your 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 financial uh, base if if you're having trouble kind of keeping money going in. And one one of the things I do really like about the pol politics system is depending on who is going in and out of power, you can have a law that you are sitting there and relying on, and suddenly your science uh, you know scientists are not as much in power as they used to be, and they've been replaced by you know ecologists or pacifists or whoever. And all of a sudden, these laws that you were relying on just kind of go away. You don't have access to them anymore because you haven't necessarily supported the group that makes those laws possible. And suddenly, you know, other kinds of laws are you know will will sort of be enforced. And uh, sometimes I felt it. I, I felt a little bit like I was fighting the system every now and again, but for the most part, I also felt like I was making decisions where that factored in, where I'm, where the decision I might have made absent the politics element ended up not being the decision I went forward with simply because I didn't want to risk, you know, the, the unrest that might be associated with it or potentially losing access to these sort of bigger picture laws. And so I liked as quests came along or as I was making decisions about what I was building or even, even how I was exploring and interacting, you know, whether I was going to go out and fight a bunch of pirates that were messing with my shipping lanes, knowing that it was going to boost the military faction like that, that interplay I actually really enjoyed. It was one of the stronger parts of the game to me. So this is true to some extent for my for me, but I never really felt like I was lacking resources. Um, I've only managed to play one game almost to completion, so maybe I just got lucky or maybe the Unfallen are just really good at gathering resources, but I always had enough money unless I was just trying to, like, bribe the hell out of everyone diplomatically. I always had enough science to seem to be getting science things happening. I had way more uh, production and, um, what is it, influence? Yeah, influence than yep. I needed. And, you know, my 
my food was always good. So these laws were like, okay, these sound like a nice little way to buff things that I'm already just kind of churning out anyway. If if I had ever gotten to the point where like I was in desperate need of whatever they had to offer, I might have cared a little more. As it was, it seemed more like a flavor text kind of thing, adding adding cool little quests, seeing how my empire was manifesting, what it was trying to do. Um but it was not like a thing that I had to get into and mess with in order to succeed in Endless Space 2, which was somewhat of a disappointment. I want this game to to put more pressure on me. Yeah, I um, I'm gonna have to turn up the difficulty as I get more accustomed uh, to this game. Like, I think something I definitely wasn't dealing with enough are some of the ramifications of what had like how the politics can interact with like colony happiness right because like one of the things you need to watch out for is that uh parties can be up or down and feel disenfranchised and it's not a big issue if like colony happiness happiness uh is is high but it looks like actually no maybe conflating different systems uh because i i do know that revolts are possible when colony happiness is is low enough, but I'm not sure whether that has anything to do with whether or not the uh, the sort of dominant faction on the planet is of a different political alignment. Uh, than no, it government. does. Okay, it does. It, it does. Yeah, yeah. That does. That definitely influences the the happiness. And actually, that was one of the big changes I made when when I started my second game because I totally agree on the kind of normal and easier difficulty levels. It's it's kind of it's not feast or famine it's just it's, feast, it's too easy right? to keep all the all the bars right in the middle right everything's yeah, showing green. i agree yeah yeah but all of my colonies are ecstatic i'm like four four star systems above what i'm supposed to have and everyone is just still delighted with me and i'm not entirely certain why but... have you maybe researched because different texts can add i think most of them just add two more colonies you can have so maybe you've got two of them or maybe it's a law there are loads of different no. things to increase how many you can have no it's it, it's been at eight ever since i found that thing and i'm at right. like 12 or 13 colonies now right. and well everyone still loves me there's there's uh one tech that that is pretty powerful it actually no i think it's a law uh every time you found a new colony there's an empire-wide uh boost to happiness and so it's it's this weird thing where you can actually like go you can actually go hurtling over the edge of what your uh ideal system count should be according to like what you what you've researched and and how like how long before you start getting those like uh scale penalties for having too large an empire you can go like sailing past that uh because if you just keep like sort of parceling out the new colonies at a steady interval you'll keep that crazy bonus to happiness so everyone is like you know your 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 empire is basically turning into like late habsburg austria but you know <laughs> you're you're managing it in such a way that people are like this is awesome man have you heard about the latest shithole colony we just founded this is great <laughs> oh my god my government doesn't respond to any of my needs um <laughs> so i i think where Two things, uh, you know, the, the the pro and the con for me with the political system. It's very tough to get a picture of what's happening 
on the macro scale politically like you can you analyze the political movements planet by planet right what's causing this population like what's causing on this planet uh the scientist faction to rise and what is causing the uh yeah ecologist faction to just absolutely crater you can see what modifiers are are influencing those changes and it's really cool it's 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 really granular right like well you built this building but then you have this event going uh and here you know here's some resources you have that are affecting like this happiness level there's a lot of things going on that show you like why these political alignments are changing there are so many things that are going on and so many of them are not quite beyond your control but like Look, I need dust. I need dust to pay for my buildings. And so naturally I'm going to build a ton of like dust producing buildings. I don't really have a choice. It's that or like go bankrupt. But then I do that and now I've caused a different faction to sort of I've, char- I've caused the pacifist faction uh to start making a surge. And that's and that's cool. That's a cool like unintended consequence, but at the same time it's happening at such a granular level that it doesn't really pay off for me to sort of track these movements planet by planet. Uh, I'm just kind of, you know, playing it, playing it as it lays. On the other hand, I did have something really cool happen in one game uh, that, and boy, talk about like (laughs) American nativist nightmare here on 3MA. Um, (laughs) So I was playing as the United Empire and they tend to be like sort of by default pretty industrialist uh scientific Mm -hmm. uh empire and i was happy with that mix right like i was all about the uh the 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 benefits of having science and and science and industry you know joined at the hip as we charged boldly into the future but i also wanted to assimilate some new people uh and uh the he show uh which are a minor race uh and the endless series uh, with endless legend, there were minor ra- there were minor races you'd find on the map, and you could integrate them into your empire. You can do the same thing in in endless space too. Uh, usually, it involves paying them a lot of a, a lot of bribes uh, of of some sort or another, and then eventually doing a doing a good deed for a faction to to assimilate them into your empire. So I wanted the he show mostly for uh, the real estate they were sitting on. And so I found this colony where they where there were a bunch of Hisho. And I went and I did whatever it took to assimilate them. It did not occur to me to think about who I was assimilating. The Hisho by default are like super militaristic. And my empire was young enough that yeah, there were a lot of you're like human like you know, imperial uh, citizens. There were, there were a lot of those. But now I had a lot of Hisho. And sort of at a, at a stroke, because I just, like, I wanted the system, and this was the easiest way to get it, was just to, to go do a solid for the Hisho. Um, suddenly, I had, like, 40% Hisho population, and they were all about war. <laughs> and so the next election rolled around, and, like, the polls come in, and I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> like it's it's basically like it, it, it's basically like the war party is is now leading in the polls, uh, slaughtering the uh, the the well slaughtering the scientists and the industrialists are are far and far and away in second place. So I decide, well, I'm not going to have that. Like that's just not going to fly. Like a little democracy can be a dangerous thing. 
I know better. <laughs> so each election comes around and you have three options. You can you can choose who to back and then how strongly you want to back them. Basically it's, you know, give official support, uh commit a little electoral fraud. And then there's option 3 which is like rig the entire election. So I went with option 3 cuz, you know, if you're going to if you're going to destroy a democratic system like why go halfway? So America 2017. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, it's the it's the it's the Zachney platform. Uh let's let's not be half-assed about our author- authoritarianism. Um so I threw all my support not behind the industrialists cuz they were doing fine in the polls. I didn't need to worry about them. They were going to win anyway. I threw all my coercive support behind the scientists. And this is where things really fell apart. <laughs> because it turns out <laughs> it turns out that yes, it detracted from all uh, all the other factions' votes, but the problem is that most of what I switched were industrialist votes into uh, scientist <laughs> votes. And so when the election <laughs> results came in, the industrialists, who had been polling at like 48%, like they had a solid plurality, when the election results came in, they were destroyed. Okay? It was like, it was, it was a complete electoral wipeout. And suddenly there was like a he show dude like in my Senate leading the leading the Imperial Party. And everyone was like, all right, we're gonna do war now, right? That's what that's what we're here for. And the scientists were like, you betcha, let's build some guns. Um so it was it was a really cool, like it was a really cool moment because like I felt like things had gotten away from me at that, at that particular moment. I felt very much like, uh, you know, when, when they appointed Hitler chancellor and there's that famous quote, like, you know, we've hired him. Uh, that, was, that was kind of me at that moment where I was like, I know how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to control this situation. Uh, and yeah, I wiped out my, my core faction and put the militarists in charge. And it was pretty cool. Uh, and as long as they were in there, I decided, what the hell, let's do a war. Um, which, which was fun. You can't beat them. Join them. That's yeah. There you go. Nice job. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, that's like the ideal scenario. But in some way, I think it's it, it's interesting because it, it it the more you learn about the system, the more I think it becomes easier to manipulate too. Right. I, I yeah. mean, I think that's that's one of those things that you learn early on. I'm not sure how well it holds up. Um, once you really just kind of have a sense of how to control it. And again, this really becomes where it, it'd be interesting to see, you know, if you go all the way to endless difficulty, how much does that change the political structure? How much does it change, you know, diplomacy? How much does it change these other things? But yeah. Uh, since we're talking about the, the militarists and war real quick, um, I'm torn about this. I miss that endless space one combat. This is. I'll just. I'll just throw that out. This there. is similar-ish, and yeah, mm. it's like really, really slimmed down. Yeah, it's definitely mm-hmm. the the weakest combat model they've used, and I, I, a lot of people see. It was one of the things because my review of it was really, really positive, and and I still think it's fantastic. It's definitely though a shame about these bugs that other people are experiencing. But the one thing that I didn't really dig was that combat and. A lot of people in the comments of my review pointed out that they don't really want the 
um, endless legend, very hands-on style turn-based strategy, and they don't even really want the card thing. They just they want the combat to be automated and over and done with. Not everyone, but there was a substantial number of comments about that, and I'm like, that really surprised me because I want to be able to pick different parts I can maybe automate or skip if I want to, but in general, when I'm playing a, a big strategy game like this, I want to have the option to also interact with every element of my empire, and that includes telling my ships what to do, and instead you pick one like big strategy, and they're usually really boring, which just means they'll move in a certain way or hold, stay back and things like that, and that's it. And then you just watch it. I don't know about you guys, but I stopped watching yeah. the admittedly incredibly oh, yeah. cool they uh, look great. battle scenes. They're amazing. I watched them for like maybe a few turns. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. just like, well, this is cool, but this is still wasting my time, and I'm not in control. So I just ignore them now. They look like uh, Babylon 5 CGI. It's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> they they pull the guns out in like the same way. It's the way they like fire and recoil. It's uh, it's really pressing my nostalgia buttons. But it's it's so hands off that um, I'm not exactly sure why it's there. Yeah. Why not just have combat be straight up automated? Um, I I don't even consider in this legend to be incredibly granular. That's almost entirely hands off. You just press in turn a, a few more times, but um yeah. It's... I don't know. I liked so I I really liked the endless legend system because it was like it was hands off ish, but like there were you needed to manage it and anticipate it in the right way. Like it definitely made a difference whether or not you were in command uh, at a battle. And it's like you were still basically hitting like resolve turn, then you see how the turn order played out. Uh, but you, you had a pretty high impact outside of that. This definitely, um, what's like, why are we even having these space battles? Like, it might as well just be, uh, it, it might as well just be a straight up like math equation. Right, like you have, you know, you have X number of ships, and multiplied by the degree to which your uh, your technology is better or worse than theirs, the end. That's that's the end. That's what's going to determine the battle. Uh, maybe a little See, bit this, of this is where I think Amplitude let their uh, desire to have a lot of flavor and personality get away from them because they hired people just to make these scenes that. In a, like, you know, very quickly people stop watching. They had someone whose role was to basically be a director of space battles and find the right angles. And so they created basically a, like an AI director based on feedback from an actual director um, of movies. <laughs> like, that's such a huge waste of resources. It's a really cool idea, but not if all we're doing is sitting back and watching these things and inevitably skipping them. That it also like the auto camera that they have for that director doesn't show the scope of the battle. It's just guns shooting mm-hmm. back and forth. And there is maybe some sort of scope like that. Like when you go out to like the overview mode, they seem to be moving in various formations. I'm not sure if these formations matter because, you know, this is a space game. There's no map. There's no terrain. There's nothing interesting happening 
to to make these battles anything other than having a different background which i i mean not to harp on this over and over but this is yet another space game that thinks that doing civilization in space is fine and it's not i like i definitely feel like this one like this combat system is just largely a, a mistake because like i like i basically like everything leading up to the battles like you're not going to you're not unless you're going like full military all the time and even then you probably won't do this there's there's no value in researching all the weapons technologies like you it really behooves you to sort of specialize what your weapon loadouts are going to be probably around whatever your uh strategic resources that you hold actually i, I are. like this about that i do I, I, me too we, we can and we should get into the tech tree because I think it's pretty neat. Yeah, um, and and so when you're you're when you're looking at these these military techs, uh, and and this sort of happens across the the tech tree, but like, you know, you're not just choosing, you know, battleship, bigger battleship, laser, bigger laser. Like, it really there are certain special weapons and items that you're only going to get. Uh, you can only afford to sort of slap onto a ship if you've got the correct strategic uh, uh, strategic resources. And all the weapons sort of have optimal engagement ranges, uh, long, medium, short. Uh, so you really need to be thinking about what type of weapon damage is your fleet going to be doing, what ships are going to be in that sort of line of battle, and where are their ideal uh, engagement range is going to be. And then you need to think about that when you're choosing like what your tactics cards that you're going to play in the battle, uh, what's going to dictate what your squadrons do. You need to consider that as well. And that's a, that's a pretty cool thing. It just falls on its face when <laughs> the battle itself um, is, is so vastly underwhelming. It doesn't feel like, it doesn't even feel like your choices are really interacting that much uh, with, with the other with the other players uh they you know they pick their cards what their what their flotillas are going to do and sort of what happens is on the overview map uh you see your two it's almost like you know if you had like a couple different football plays happening simultaneously you see where their guys are running your guys are running in these directions maybe that will bring them into close contact and maybe that's what you want for like a close range battle maybe you know accidentally you will end up having uh, a short range flotilla stuck at long range for an entire engagement because it didn't it didn't square off quite right um but it just doesn't feel that's not enough agency uh to to mm -hmm. to really justify you know having the like to to justify me putting paying any attention to this combat system and uh you know largely speaking because it feels because it feels like the battles and the tactics themselves are so throwaway and expendable, they don't really seem to matter all that much. What matters more is if you can just make good your losses faster than the other guy. Uh, and, and, you know, so there's, you know, you might get a miraculous victory, but if you can't outproduce him, it, it won't matter. Um, yeah. So I just, I came away from the entire, the entire battle thing really frustrated because I liked how your army was built. I liked the sort of decisions you made about what went into your uh, what went into your fleet, but then combat itself just felt oh, so disappointing. I th I approve of some of the grain combat stuff, not the actual again battles themselves because it's just a bunch of like 
icons and a screen colliding in a 2D battlefield. Uh, but it's the, the, the simple fact that each ship has troops, basically. That each ship has manpower. So there's no need to build troop transports and worry about them. It's like if you've got a fleet, if it's besieging a planet, that fleet is going to be able to send men if they have enough manpower. And if not, they can go and get more. So there's like a limit. And they, you know, if they send out all of their troops and they die, they have to go back and get more. So there's still wrinkles, but it's just a lot less faff, which I always mm -hmm. approve of. I think uh, the ground combat is is a good idea in that it's built around sort of these big wars of attrition that are probably going to take you multiple turns to try and get through, and you have to you know maybe send multiple armies or have your have your ships go back, get more manpower, and come back. Um, and then it shows up on this ground battle that, as you say, is just these two sets of icons colliding. Like, the, the actual planets on the system don't matter beyond the number that they have. Um, like, if you're invading a forest versus if you're invading an Arctic planet, it doesn't matter. It's just however, whatever the population I can, is there for. I, I can live with that. Um, it, I mean... It, I can live with that. It's just a, it's just a whole, a whole thing where, like I said, this game smooths out. It's about taking the galaxy and making it this very, taking the initial personality and making everything just kind of the same overall. Um, there, it's it, in a sense, it's kind of like Endless Space One in that you're so slowly turning everything into this spreadsheet. Um, even though it's really shiny on top of it. And I, I be very grumpy about this game right now. And I think this podcast is kind of hitting the, the things that we're grumpy about the most earliest, because this is probably still the best of the space Four X games that I've played of the recent years. But, um, you just start seeing all these cracks that are in like the very conception of the game that I don't think that it's, it's creative enough on those grounds, but we should talk about something that we really like unambiguous. Well, you said you really like the, th the technology. Technology is good. The interface is probably the thing that we should. Mm, uh, we have, we have praised the, we, uh, the amplitude interface conversation that was so tired. We've always loved the amplitude <laughs> interface. Guess what? They did it again. But they're still doing it. Yeah, they're still doing a good job at it. <laughs> I think they, I think it's better. I went and played an hour of Endless Legend last night, and I'm like, man, why why can't I just like zoom right, use my mouse wheel to scroll out of this tech tree or whatever? It's uh, it, it's it's even better in this game. Um, it, it's UI porn basically at this point, <laughs> <laughs> which 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 is good because in the uh, in the early access in the beta they actually totally revamped from an earlier version. I mean the there was a there was an earlier tech version in probably you know like last October last November where it was much more of the everything is just broken up into sort of eras and you're just kind of picking stuff off a menu in the era and then when you get enough you can kind of move to the next era and it was all bundled together and yeah. bunched up and it just wasn't a very good interface and then they flipped it and it was like oh it was all the better for it because it was like oh yes this is this well, is the tech tree that's I not just an interface problem like it like endless legend i think this is one reason it became so tricky to learn in some ways that entire era model uh was mm -hmm. really led you into some weird places because 
it was always like, okay, so these are your starting ear attacks, and then this is your second ear attacks, and once you and once you've researched researched six out of each of these eras, the next era opens up. Okay, cool. Uh, but then the game is kind of explicitly telling me, like, okay, well, this other like really important mechanic that's tied to this technology, you didn't research it, so you can't do it. I mean, you could, you could, you could go and, <laughs> and research an, an old technology, but. I mean that's that's old technology. Like you sure you want to do that? And so like and like endless endless legend kind of did have this way of making progress or technology feel at once baffling uh and also a little discouraging. Like it forced some it forced some hard choices on you. Uh but I don't think it necessarily made clear like when it would be worth it to go back and get another tech versus when you just needed to stay on that uh that advancing power curve. I mean, the the answer is always you use it when you need it, and I think that's what Amplitude has kind of done even better in this yes. game is that um, it's you figure out what you need and you type it in on the the search mm. bar and their their thing, so and it shows you all the different ways that you Love can that go and bar. find that uh, find that thing. So it's like, oh, I'm in a war now. I need fleets that are bigger than four ships. I'll type in command points, and you know, there, there they, they all are. get highlighted. And, uh, yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, it doesn't have the whole. I mean, the, the the era thing is still kind of there, but it's there within these four different uh, themes themes for technology. Um, but it doesn't have the feeling that going backwards is like a bad thing for you. It's like, yeah, like they're broken up. Like to a to a degree, it's doing the same thing. It's still got those four quadrants where you have uh, you know military uh, science. Uh, industry and trade, and then like uh, political and empire development. Those quadrants are still there, uh, but now each quadrant like has sort of its own uh, eras, right? So like you can be in the third ring on trade, and only the first ring on science, and it makes it clear like okay, well, uh, you know you can keep advancing along this this trade tree, uh, but now you're going to get hamstrung because you don't really have like advanced research. At- research technologies so you'll need to go you know when you decide to make that shift you are going to have to go back and uh open up some of these these new layers of the uh research tree which makes the entire thing feel a lot more coherent uh and makes it easier to draw a line between your desired strategy and the way technology uh works in this game basically i feel like they're they're just dunking on uh the the beyond earth tech web if I'm being honest. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if they do this without the Beyond Earth tech web showing the web is like a good way to do this if it's given a better interface. Like, I don't, I, I think it's, you know, a progression more than a dunk. But um, it is definitely an improvement from that, but same kind of core idea. But um, it, is, it also does something where uh, when you have a game where there's a lot of technologies, especially fictional technologies. Um, it can be really easy to uh, just not know what the hell you're doing with those. And the tech being relatively fast to research and uh, reactive, like, you know, oh, suddenly I need to have those command points or I need to colonize an Arctic planet. Like, being able to just go and click on those things and get them, you know, two or four turns later is really helpful um compared to a game where you suddenly realize that you don't have a technology that you've needed 
this entire time to actually build you know stronger troops which could sort of happen in endless legend um and definitely happens in a lot of civ style games so i think this is uh really good for that it does i i'm not sure about the scaling of it um fraser since you played four games you might be able to, to tell me is my is my empire getting just way slower in terms of science because i've gone from researching tax in two to four turns or maybe 10 to it taking 20 or 30 turns yeah you need um, to, to keep to... you need to keep up with like because the actual cost of like researching them is is bigger so like you actually need to really start investing in science but the thing is by that point of the game there and this is the thing that i actually think i love the most about the game is you could just flip your empire into this completely other thing and it takes a little bit of time and and a bit of uh thought to to actually get there but you can transform everything so if you've got a an economically minded empire and it's all about your trade routes and the economy is awesome so there's a lot of good reasons for you to actually uh, make an emperor like that, but you get into the sort of situation that, that Rowan gets in and you need more science, you can just flip it with a few buildings, a few techs, a few like uh, political laws, and suddenly you're generating like 200% more science than you are. Um, so you can really change the direction of your empire uh, without too many complications. And that's that's something I think that it took a long time for 4X designers to realize that it's a good idea to not force you into one like victory path really early on. Like what a revelation it was when Civ stopped doing that. Um, and did yeah, Civ so it, stop it, doing that? Well, it, no, if, if, <laughs> if you remember, this is going back to, to Civ Five, I think it was when they brought okay. in was okay. it um, uh, Brave New World. The, yeah, Brave New World, and suddenly like culture was changed, yeah. and also you could you could switch your end game goals um, if you wanted to, and that was something that was really hard to do before. Uh, but you can do it straight away with with Endless Space too. So if you're finding that you don't have enough science, you can fix that problem. I, I don't want to say but... easily; it's still a challenge, and you still have to actually look out what text will help you and what buildings will work. Well, and, and how they're going to interact with what sort of colonies you have, right? Like, this is the other yeah. cool thing. Is like, there's a lot of things that are dependent either on uh, certain resources being available to you or just having lots of planets of a certain, uh, you know, climate. Like, ice, snow planets are the best for science. Uh, the argument in the game is because uh, they preserve everything. The records are uh, the best preserved on, on icy, barren rocks. Um, and so... If you if you have a lot of science, but it's not being driven by, you know, these sort of Arctic colonies, don't bother getting the sci the technology that's going to let you like get a ton of extra research from citizens on icy planets. So like, I I think and I wrote a bit about this a bit on on Waypoint uh, last week. This is a game where it's really easy to make those numbers move. And it feels really, really good. But as the game progresses, and especially as you get in that late game, like you need to not just be like adding some numbers to the earlier numbers. Like you actually need to be like finding those multiplicative improvements, uh, so that you know you're going from 200 research to you know 450 research out of a single star system. 
that's those are the kind of moves you need to be making, not 200 research to like you know 250, because um, and like it's easy to to make marginal improvements in endless space too, but like especially in the late game, it really wants you to start finding those um th those complementary interactions. Um, last thing I want to touch on, uh, I think with the, well, actually, there's two things I want to touch on. Um, we'll do with the easier one, easier one first. I do not like the diplomacy because I feel like the diplomacy is closed off for way too long into the game. Discuss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just the diplomacy really didn't do much for me, top to bottom. The I think part of it is you know the 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 interactions and the way that that other races sort of interact with you. Um, for as little as it feels like you can do, it also feels awfully opaque. And I didn't have a good sense of really how to kind of manage or control the way other, you know, other civilizations were interacting with me. I think it has an interface problem, too, where, you know, a civilization you know, will give you a demand, but it won't be like in there like, yeah, we demand money. They'll just show up and be like, we demand money and then go away and unless you kind of take a a a, a de deliberate yeah. action to go send them money like it yeah. doesn't it, it, it why am i getting these messages without like <laughs> an actionable item like why am i getting these oh, that yeah. might be a bug because um, <laughs> no no because oh, so good. before um before and i think i thought it had been fixed forever and before the final pre-release patch i was getting just constant like threats and demands and it was just that was it, and they just kept doing that, but there was no follow up. Yes, that um, describes that's why, the space too perfectly. Yeah, and that's what. <laughs> and that's why I was getting like I was having no wars, but people being like, "I'm going to declare war on you," and nothing would happen. And then they made the patch, which ostensibly fixed the the no war and a few other diplomacy problems. And now it's like they'll start sending they'll start sending kind of threats, or obviously just threats with no actual kind of demands and then eventually if the situation continues being that way like if you're expanding too much an empire might be like i don't like that you're expanding this much obviously you know what you can do you can stop expanding there's nothing you need to click on but then eventually they'll actually say demand money or declare war and there will be actual things happening yeah see so what i've been having happen is that i will get like the vodiani will come up to me for instance and be like we think our church deserves a donation from your coffers. But then there's no, like, there's no ask. It's just them. Mm. Like, it's like them commenting on that. Yeah, like, like how much, yeah. how much do you want? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm open to it. I'm open to the idea. Let's talk about numbers yeah. now. Yeah, that should have, like, something where you then click. Because no. there's some that are no, just threats not. with no actual stuff. No. I, I think that I, sounds like a bug. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely feels like a bug. But the thing is, it goes away. Uh, or at least I think it goes away once you research the relevant technology that allows you to make a similar sort of demand or offer. And so like once I unlocked the, uh, the, the technology that lets you establish peace, right? Cause you start in cold war where you're, where you can attack each other in neutral systems. Uh, but you're not like formally, uh, at war, you can't attack in, in uh, home territory. Um, once I researched the technology that lets me form like peace trees and alliances, 
I started, it, I think I saw demands come in where it's like, hey, we should have, we, we should be friends. And now there was a click to accept the treaty uh, button. But until I unlocked oh, that. I never got to that. Uh, yeah, I didn't get any of those. Um, yeah, so until I unlocked those technologies, uh, a ton of these diplomatic interactions uh, just didn't have any actionable items. It just felt like uh, a bunch of randos up in your mentions. Uh, just sort of, just sort of it's like Horatio, yeah. <laughs> he cloned himself and created sixty different egg accounts just to <laughs> tell me that I don't look very good. Yeah, so like for me in, in this game, like the diplomacy just like didn't really work until late in the game when I was the one unlocking things like alliances and peace treaties, and then suddenly like diplomacy started to happen. Uh, but I think you do actually that, have to like discover diplomacy tech yeah uh, no, to, to, to do a, anything to make a yeah. positive offer sure but yeah if another race demands yeah and that's the thing like that's completely absurd because then like it's okay if uh, if you're going to limit my diplomatic menu because i haven't researched this stuff fine but like the way endless space 2 works currently um and i just noticed there's a giant download pending uh, thing on, on my uh, on my Steam account, so who knows? But the way it works currently is no diplomacy happens uh, until you're in that like third or fourth ring of the uh, empire and politics uh, tree, uh, which is just which is just absurd, and it it really yeah, it, it definitely shouldn't be like that. Because I remember right, I think it was like within the first ten turns of the last game I played, I think as the uh, uh, unfallen or the tree ants or whatever they're called. Um, and the beardy emperor guy of the humans was giving me a lot of lip and threatening me and we were having engaging and angry conversations and then he declared war on me and this was all like in 10 20 turns uh so i find it quite lively it wasn't before the the pre-release patch um but after then yeah i've been getting a lot of having a lot of banter um the the hot fix for Endless Space 2 says pending turn issue seems to be working now. So maybe we should record this again yeah, tomorrow. No, because no. uh, I also suspect <laughs> that the laundry list of issues uh, we've identified here are probably not all going to be sorted out or working to satisfaction. Like, uh, I, I think this is a, a be safe and, and wait a little while longer uh, game no matter what. Um, the last thing I want to talk about, and I know we're... Uh, I, I wanted to talk about the diplomacy a little bit um it's like when he with endless legend one of the things that it did was it sort of re refocused the 4x game on yourself it's not you are one of the competitors in this race it's you are trying to go down your own path in your own way and endless space 2 i think takes a step back from that i it still kind of has the main faction quest, but they seem to more be for buffs than for specific victory or the completing the game in that way. And yeah. that might just be because Endless Legend was so focused on understanding and dealing with this map. And like, if you had to declare war on another, if you had to declare war on an opponent in order to get to wherever your quest was taking you, that was fine. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. They're they're there as like minor obstacles to you, not other use and in the endless space 2 they're other use again um like like most 4x games and i think that that uh 
that has its advantages and its problems, but it means that things like diplomacy need to be robust and functional. And um, I don't know that it's it's at. Is there a four X game that has a diplomacy thing that we like? Well, how I, generous do you want to get with the four X definition? Uh, I think I, EU four has just... great diplomacy. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Well, I mean, but even EU4, like, three years later, just added a thing where you tell your diplomats to automatically make friends with people instead of clicking that every five minutes. So, like, there's, there are still some pretty major interface issues there. Um, but, yeah, this is this is something that we seem to complain about every time we do a 4X game is, uh, oh, the diplomacy could use some help. And, like, they're, they're trying... <laughs> They really want to make those uh, uh, those screens more functional, make them work, make them more interesting. I talked to the civilization designers. I've talked with the Endless Space Two designers. Like they they really want they're really keen on making this work. Stellaris too, um, and it's just I. It might be something about the genre and not something that you can just clean up with a proper interface. I think there's certain levels of react like reactivity that you need that a lot of you kind of know how factions will react to certain things but I think with what I enjoyed with Endless Space 2 is that the learning how these factions will react and of course that changes a lot of the time depending on their like politics and things like that um so when they get a bit worried about overexpansion or they get jealous for some reason or threatened for another like i like that i just want to see more of it and i want to see a broader array of i guess like emotions from the ai controlled factions well having them actually do diplomacy i think will be a huge a huge step in the, in the direction of <laughs> yeah. them expressing intent and desire um but yeah it does feel like like, I've just been playing Civ Six, and I think I actually hate that diplomacy uh, because it's hiding so much information from you that, like, it's trying to give you the sense of, like, oh, all these other, all these other empires, like, have their own agenda. And it's influenced by, you know, whether or not you align with their values and stuff. And it's this weird, like, it's this weird attempt to sort of, like, map nation-state values onto but are basically like abstractions in that game that, that just does not sit well with me, right? It's like, look, yeah, like I'm I'm the Greeks in this game, sure, but like I'm not really. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not like every turn I'm playing and I'm like, man, how how best do I do I express my Greekness uh with this empire? <laughs> like what would what would Alexander uh what would Alexander make of well not Alexander, it's, it's Gorgo? He's back in Tonia. Yeah. Uh, is it Gorgo? Gorgo and uh, Pericles. Um, yeah. uh, what would Pericles uh, make of Teddy Roosevelt? Like, how would their, <laughs> how would their two values uh, interact with each other? And I'm like, one, that's just not, that's just not Civ. Like, it's, it's not, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's not like, uh, it, it's it's not like in in EU four where you've got like the competing claims over similar territory. Like everyone has the sense of national destiny. Like you're all just playing this like themed strategy game. But somehow like Teddy Roosevelt doesn't like people who proselytize on his home continent. And I'm like, oh, classic Teddy. 
<laughs> just <laughs> you, you know what you know what they said about him uh the old the old evangelical buster uh, <laughs> as we all learned uh it's it's a tricky thing uh but but Ron you also mentioned the the quest angle and this is something that I think it makes it easier to grok endless space 2 as a forex in some ways but it also costs some of the things that made uh, Endless Legend interesting. Heroes are still in the game. Quests are still in the game. But Endless Legend was definitely themed. Like, it's about going out onto this map and exploring this world and, like, doing quests and having adventures with, with your sort of coterie of heroes. What I find happening a lot in this Endless Space 2 is that it's not really worth it in a lot of cases for unless I'm pursuing that strategy, unless I'm pursuing like an end game quest line. Um, it's not worth it for me to have a bunch of heroes out there adventuring with fleets and, and trying to do stuff like most of the time it's, it's better to have them sitting at home uh, providing system wide buffs. And then, and then on top of that, a lot of the hero abilities kind of feel like they're uh, redundant. Like, you know, part of the uh, the three the three ability trees for each hero is identical uh, across every single hero, um, and then there's like a racial tree on their on their abilities, and then there's their uh, class tree, and a lot of it just seems to boil down to fleet command or uh, you know a pretty straightforward menu of of system buffs, and so it's this weird thing where like some of the trappings of endless space are still there, but. The quests aren't fulfilling the same role of enlivening that world, and heroes are no longer uh, this resource that you need to push out into that world and explore, uh, lest you fall behind. Now they're just kind of governors that hang out and occasionally have to command a fleet. The governors also just constantly get experience and go up in levels, and the fleets have to be fighting yes. to get that. And even when I'm in a war where I'm fighting pretty regularly, my heroes are way, way, way behind. My fighting heroes are way behind the governors. Yeah, uh, and it's yeah, it's it feels like an endless legend system transposed to a game that's not really endless legend. I felt that the um, there was when I finished the first. Uh, series of quests which was for the Riftborn or whatever they're called which are like geometric uh, extra dimensional aliens with this really weird quest where they've basically been thrust into the endless space universe from their own which has become infected by this black void and you're the the first group of you're ruling the first group of Riftborn who have come through into this universe and it's kind of funny because of course a lot of the things that you're doing are the things that this the races from this universe are doing but what's really strange is that there are four acts to this quest and the final act is like the rest of the riftborn come through that's 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 it that it's like the rest of the riftborn and there's maybe like a building you get or something and, and like, it feels okay, cool. epic and amazing, right? Like the, the laws <laughs> of the universe have just been overturned. And it's really strange because then it just ends and I'm like, oh, wait, is this, is this it? <laughs> and I played and I played and then I won the game. And I'm like, I that was a great game. I, I think the writing of those quests was excellent. Um, I think the Riftborn are a really interesting faction. 
and I didn't have like an issue with the game. I just felt that like it just ended. I had the storyline end, and then I won the game because I was, I think I was just super rich. Um, and it <laughs> felt like a bit of an anticlimax. And I, I didn't feel like I'd gone on a personal journey. And the more of them I played, the more I realized that for me, the, thing that, the things that I love about Endless Space 2 are completely different to things I love about Endless, um, Endless Legend. I, I like the story stuff here, but it's not the driving force behind me playing the game, whereas it was a lot of the time in, in, in Endless Legend. It's a little bit of flavor and gives you a little, some, you know, some nice buffs. And it is, it's always nice to see solid writing on a strategy game. But I wasn't really that into it compared to, to Endless Legend. It just felt ancillary kind of support stuff rather than the, the real meat of the game. And so when it ended, nothing really changed. Well, it was just the galaxy was identical. Yeah, You're like, well, okay, I'm going to win in a few turns anyway. But And if cool, this stuff is in there, it does need to feel, like, momentous. Like, there's one, again, like, good writing. It, it feels cool. There's this point in the, in the game, and it happens every game, where the head of the academy closes the gates of the yep. academy. <laughs> and it's like, we are bringing back the lost, or whoever the hell it is. It's, it's not the endless. It's like the endless's enemy. Uh, I can't remember their name. I think it was The Lost. But he's like, no, I've decided, like, it's really our destiny to resurrect uh, the Endless's ancient precursor race enemy. And that's going to be a good thing. So that's what I'm going to try to bring about. So he's, like, he's trying to basically, like, do this whole, like, go to Damarung thing in Endless, Endless Legend. And everyone has to pick a side. Like, are you going to go and try to prevent this from happening? Or are you going to go and try to bring about, like, the uh, the end times, the the return of... The Return of the Lost. I have had that quest finish. Like, other people go out and do it. Like, like there's supposed to be this right? entire yeah. galaxy-wide, like, Mass Effect 3, like, holy shit. Like, the Academy is closed. Heroes won't be resurrected if they get hurt until after this, this quest line wraps up. Somebody is trying to bring back an ancient entity that nobody has seen in millennia. Shit's crazy. Like, everyone's racing these different, like... Uh, key systems where these where these resurrection stones are hidden or whatever. I have ignored that. The quest has happened. Nothing has changed. It's like, well, good news, everybody. <laughs> team, <laughs> team resurrection <laughs> one. Uh, anyway, academy's back open. Uh, you can buy and sell new heroes now. Cool, cool. That doesn't feel like the way the way it's written. The what it's promising doesn't seem to map to what happens. I had you know, no idea that my quest chain had ended until Fraser just said that there are four major chains. Because I did the fourth. <laughs> I, was, I was playing as the Ents, and like they go out and explore the galaxy, they make their choices, blah, blah, blah. And then the last one is like, um, do you want to like side with the militarists or the ecologists to figure out whatever and the militarist one was way easier and the reward seemed to be the same as the other one it was they were both different forms of terraforming i didn't have to research a different terraforming tech because of it i don't know if they were significantly different forms i want to know about that military terraforming tech i'm really curious about that one it, it's called um shoot the ground fire <laughs> <laughs> Fire cleansing or something. I don't mm. know. It's sounds, uh, sounds like a fad diet. A, yeah, it's a, some kind of you burn the planet to make it more foresty thing. 
fascinating. Suddenly, I can make for I can terraform my planets into forests, and cool. That's, uh, good for the yeah. ends, but I had no idea that was the end of the quest chain. I was like, when is the next part going to fire? All the others have just fired immediately. The so, best one is the Lumaris one, because <laughs> I was like, I got to the final one, and I'm like, oh, this, there's been all this, like, Machiavellian potting and, like, fucking around with the different mafia families and influencing them and manipulating them, and we've gotten into trouble, and we're so cool, and it ended with me sacking a guy. <laughs> that was it. I mean, you're fired. <laughs> oh, man. Like, and I'm like, oh, wow. So I thought this one, definitely, it must go on further. Was it you I'm firing the kid from fired. the intro? Yeah. That was I it? I sacked him. And it was like, I sacked him, and I'm like, what a guy. Oh, man. <laughs> there are options. I could, like, kill him, or I could... But instead, I, like, I cut him out of the business. Mm. And he's like, no hard feelings. And I'm like... No hard feelings. And then a few turns later, I was like, where's the, the next part? I realized there wasn't, so I was going to focus oh on God. finishing that game. It's like the end and of, it was, it's like the it end of really, Ocean's it just, 11. Yeah, it just, just kind <laughs> of ends. The end of Ocean's 12, Rob. Yeah, it's true. Well, I was thinking of the so original thinking... uh, Ocean's 11 with the, with the actual Rat Pack, which is almost unwatchable. But it literally does end with... Um, Sammy Davis Jr. singing a song, I think, uh, like, Easy Come, Easy Go, about how none of their, their heist didn't work, and it doesn't really matter. And that movie's, like, eight <laughs> hours long, by the way. It's like, it's, like, eight hours of watching the Rat Pack try to remember their lines. And then at the end of the movie, I'm like, oh, well, that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've got to admit, like, it's... It hasn't bugged me as much as I thought it would. You know, the first time I was like, well, this is really weird. And then the second, third, fourth. So I've had like four, four stories and now. And it's like, none of them have really been that great. I don't actually care all that much. Because in the end, that's not what I was invested in. Yeah, uh, I this care time a little around. bit though. Like, I mean, I still, the you obviously there. want them to be better, sure. Um, but I just felt it, it didn't really have too much of a, a negative impact on my overall I'm experience. I mean, because one of the things, you know, and I, I, Rowan, I don't think Rowan is wrong about the idea that this is a revisiting of the basic Master of Orion idea, um, like so many others. But at the same time, I was kind of cool with that. Like, I'm not burned out on that as much. And so, right, we're talking about How? things. Tell me your no. secret. No, <laughs> I have been like I, twenty of these in the last five years. I have a I have a huge capacity to do the same thing over and over again. This is this is this is this is Look, known. Sean just um, recently got excited about a game that was like what assembly line optimizer or something like that on Steam. <laughs> you're like Ooh. production line, like they're just like, hey, hey, you wanna you wanna run a run a factory building cars? I'm like, hell yeah, I do. <laughs> um, but no, so I mean that was the thing. Like the I, I think a lot of the things that we're talking about a lot the things that endless space 2 is trying to do that seem really cool at the start like we were talking about those ideas of all the different races having these different ideas and then they sort of homogenize and then these quests sort of like they have these really cool promise and then it sort of narrows down i think there's a lot of that i think endless space 2 makes a great first impression there were so many times where i was like oh this is going to be amazing and pay off and then later on i it doesn't but it's okay because i'm just having fun with the basic model of the game i think i would be a lot i i I would be looking forward to playing my next game of endless space 2 assuming the bugs are fixed i i am looking forward to it but not 
necessarily because of all of the flavor and all of the like the writing's great but then you just you know by your fourth game you're going to ignore it yeah the having heroes is cool but yeah it's really just going to be pretty much the straightforward thing and it's not you know i'm going to ignore it i'm going to ignore you know the 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 type of of race i'm going to play and i'm going to dig in and just kind of enjoy what is a solid master of orion clone like if that's your thing, this is you know ultimately delivering once the bugs are kicked out. But um, you know, I, I think it's a great first couple of turns through it from a story and lore perspective. But I don't think that's ever going to hold. But I think my attention. I think that's what's kind of cool about it, though, is and what surprised me the most is that the best parts are actually just the bits they've taken that are traditionally 4X, and then they've made their own. It's not the new stuff they're adding to the 4X formula, but it's the way that they're experimenting with the traditional stuff that we've seen a million times. That's why like, I really got into the economic system, because the economy works. It's almost like an economy sim, in, in a way, because the way that the market works and can change depending on how the universe is changing. So if a lot of people are, buy, are, are, are making ships and there's a lot of war, then it changes the cost of, de of developing your fleet. These little things are, are, are really cool. So yeah, we're used to seeing an economic system in a 4X game, but this one feels a little bit deeper and a little bit more unique and that i think that almost every mechanic has that sense about it that yeah it's doing something we've seen a lot but with a new slant so one of the go back to our endless legend show like did we ever do that second show i don't remember but we, we were constantly trying to figure out is there like a deep strategy game underneath all this really cool shiny stuff and we could never really tell because it was so on this path of guiding you towards the shiny stuff. And I think with Endless Space 2, what I've seen tends to be that, you know, there is the potential for this deep strategy thing here. And I'm just not sure it's all connecting in a way that makes that um, the big the big selling point for me. Because, uh, like, that marketplace stuff, I've never had a resource issue except when i accidentally put a luxury resource that i wasn't trying to uh that i wasn't producing on one of my things so i needed to have a regular supply of it um so i needed to go to the marketplace and buy them or i just had too much hyperium and had to go and sell it because there was nothing else to do with it i it's it's there but it hasn't really affected what i've needed and there's a lot of that the political parties are that sort of the same way they're there they do cool things they're very shiny i'm not sure if they have a huge enough impact that they actually make this game like the super strategic i have to think about my every move like an eu4 might be um I think it's just the default I, difficulty is quite... A, it, it sets a quite a relaxed pace. I think it's the I, sort I, of I, thing mm -hmm, that yeah. a lot of people could just jump into without really knowing much about. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot going on, but if you fuck up, it doesn't really matter because the game is going quite easy on you. I set it to hard and still have this. So. Oh, yeah? I mean, maybe maybe when I get to the very end, someone might beat me on the brace to winning, whatever, but I don't. that's not really my big my main goal if i'm if i'm surviving and thriving then i think i'm doing well enough mm. um but with this game i think because these these aspects of 
the sort of strategic decision making are they're they're more transparent than endless legend um because of that i think it will be easier for players and critics and developers to realize what these issues are and after an expansion or two maybe we'll see this game like really honed down this is the strategic game we wanted endless space 2 to be and we were weren't sure that endless legend could be and i think that there is a lot of potential with the bug fixing and with like kind of making these things fit together and amplitude has what like six expansions for endless legend like they're not quite paradox levels but they're they're into making sure their games keep going i think only three proper ones Okay. But, and then there were like yeah some some free expansions uh edition of of yeah. new story but i you know it's it's weird um obviously i can't i, can't, I don't feel like i can really pass final judgment on this game cuz like i just haven't seen enough through through enough to the end uh like if i've been able to get past uh that that bug and i, and I could have finished a game last night it's it's tough for me to see how this is all going to fit together i will say it, it does concern me that I feel like this game has helped me understand Endless Legend better, and that excites me. And now I feel like I, w- I want to go back and play Endless Legend some more. Uh, but I, I am a little concerned at how, especially in light of how these endgame quests are wrapping up, I'm a little concerned at how much that uh, Endless Space 2 universe starts to feel like it flattens out. Um, it especially doesn't help. And by the way, Stellaris has this problem as well. Uh, once you can sort of terraform things at well and make every system like, you know, a carbon copy of your your ideal your your ideal system, um, with some with some variants like you you can you know a hot a hot planet a hot system is still going to have probably a stronger in- industrial base uh, than an ice system will have a stronger uh, science base, but within those bounds. It does kind of feel like as the game goes on, um, there's fewer and fewer interesting things to do or figure out about managing your empire, and I don't think I felt that way with uh, with Endless Legend, and that's and that and that's disappointing. Like it's it it's still got those amplitude touches, and I still love a lot of their approaches to uh, making games like this, albeit maybe not their, not their approaches to QA. But at the end of the day, I feel like we're lighting on that. It's a pretty good space for X. How do you feel about space for X's in general? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a really good space for X. If it's working, I think it's, this is, I, would much rather play this than Stellaris or Star Drive or the others that I've encountered recently. Um, what I would like to see this genre move past, and you sort of alluded this to this, Rob, is move past the idea of these planets as just kind of being, you know, receptacles. Like, I want these planets to have personalities. I want... I would rather have a game where I have five planets that I actually have a geography for each planet and have to like try to figure out where what each of them is becoming than a game where I have to manage forty planets or eighty planets. Like this is it's 
this idea of everything becoming homogenized is not an interesting in-game goal. What everything should be like super specialized and interesting, like Endless Legend has or like Civilization has. Um, this is this is what makes a four X really interesting is when it has uh, the super specializations when you're taking over the map and making it more interesting as opposed to less interesting. I keep saying interesting because I can't figure out like a better way to frame this, but it's. Uh, is, this is a problem that endless space too has like most everything else it's like i have the i have a star system with all these cool anomalies and um really diverse planet sets and then 30 turns later i have <laughs> four forest planets <laughs> you know i i think it's it's interesting because i think there's a component here of just you know the inevitability of scale when you're playing at a galactic level and of course we you were talking 100 planets or 50 planets or whatever or systems but inevitably with that kind of scale things are going to just like like inevitably by the time my empire is large even if it was much more diverse i would probably end up finding that to be problematic because it's just too much to pay attention to i would love to play a game like this that takes place in a single system of maybe eight, nine predefined planets and three, you know, groups kind of fighting over them at a, at a, at a scale like that. I, I think that would be you want the really interesting because I think, yeah, that, I, this is actually, <laughs> yeah, what there, I was... yeah, actually, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I want. <laughs> I, these, these, uh, developers need to stop looking at Star Trek as their example and start looking at things like the expanse. Like it doesn't have to be straight up the expanse. You could still have people traveling the planets, but like colonization right. should be hard. Yeah. Coloni- I, I mean, this is sort of putting together my dream game and it's going on a different thing, but I think the trends in the game industry and the trends in science fiction are towards these, this similar idea that, you know, you're going to die a lot. You're going to have things break. And in all these Space 4X games, it's like, no, you just build a colony ship, plop them down. What and, could you possibly know, if it's go not wrong? A planet, if it's not a planet <laughs> that's perfect, then that'll take a few more turns to be perfect. Um, yeah. And I, I just kind of want to see somebody take these ideas that you see in, you know, survival strategy games and in TV shows and books well, like The Expanse. Especially because or, everybody, like, let's face it, almost everybody playing these games is playing them solo. Don't at me. Don't write in. Yeah. Like, if you play multiplayer games, <laughs> like, go with God. I'm happy for you. I, I'm sure, like, I'm sure people who are into playing these games multiplayer are, like, are, are, are super into it, right? This is why, like, you know, Civ and, and Pit Boss, like, there was always this fanatical, uh, you know, really, really devoted following for, for playing games like that. But I am betting you the vast majority of people who play games like this, the vast majority of sessions are solo experiences in which case it doesn't really matter that it you know the game seats six identical players with an equal chance of winning um because that's not going to matter to five of those players because they're robots uh so why not why not just go and and make it as uh specific as as you want to get um yeah so i i think that's what it's I'm I'm kind of surprised we we ended up here because I, I you know until this weekend I was really high on this game and I was like yeah they really mm-hmm. they really delivered on what I wanted out of the space 4x now having the game fatally crash uh, <laughs> like 12 hours into a game probably didn't help my reaction uh, did not endear the game to me but I I am sort of surprised how 
how I guess a little bit disappointed I am that it's like if endless space it's like if endless legend were were space 4x you know that's that's kind of that's kind of how I feel it's like well I was hoping for more endless legend in space and not and not like what it was a standard space 4x I mean if if you just take the one thing that endless legend does best it's the map what does endless space 2 have in place of that it doesn't it has a bunch of neat ideas and that's that's great. I like a lot of these ideas. This is a really good example of the genre. And once the bugs are cleaned up and some of the balance issues are fixed, I think it'll be widely believed to be the best of the genre. But it doesn't have a specific thing that makes it special like the truly great strategy games do. And I'm, I'm not even sure if Endless Legend is a truly great strategy game, but it's a truly great map development <laughs> game. All right. Uh, I think that will do it for Endless Space 2. Uh, we'll be back next week with more strategy discussion and maybe we'll revisit, I hope we'll revisit Endless Space 2 uh, somewhere down the road uh, if it gets supported with good expansions and they figure out how to make it so that the turns always resolve. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is produced as always by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. Uh, you can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, for Rowan, Sean, and Fraser, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. I want our next episode to be in a game that you guys all really like and I hate just to subvert <laughs> things. Because I miss being the guy that's like, no, it's really good, guys. I love it. Ha, 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 ha.